Charles Dickens, in his novel on the tale of two cities, opens the book in the opening two lines. It says, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. I think that's true of a lot of things in life. Uh, and I think it's true of life in the church. There are many ways it is the best of times. And there are times when it's not so great and when it's difficult uh, suffering together. And there's a passage here that we're looking at this morning as we travel through uh, Colossians chapter 1. We're right at the end here, 24 to 29, where Paul is talking about ministry. He talks about uh, his suffering for the church and, and the work that God is doing, that he is present in his church, and they're working toward maturity in Christ. But in the meantime, there is a dynamic that goes on in the life of the church of sanctification, something that we go through and do together. Hear then the word of God in Colossians chapter 1, 24 to 29. Paul writes and he says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is you, the church, of which I have become a minister, a servant, according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. To make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now that is being revealed to the saints, to them, to you, the saints, God has chosen to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is precisely this, Christ in you. The hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all the energy that he so powerfully works in me. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we have gathered this morning to you. We've come to your presence to lift our hearts and our souls in worship, to know you, to love you, to give ourselves to you afresh. And we do that even now as we sit under your word, your word, that it may judge us, challenge us, stretch us, convict us, encourage us, call us, and empower us toward a maturity that is in Christ, in whose name we ask and pray. Amen. God has sovereignly started a work in your life. Paul says elsewhere that he who began a good work in you is going to carry it on to completion in Christ. He started something good. He started something in you, something in us. It's in you, but it's in us as a church, as a people, a good work that he's going to carry on, that he's going to finish. He's doing something. And it's a significant part of, of what it means to be the church, uh, is this something that he's doing, this sanctification, and suffering is a great part of it. Sometimes we, we think that somehow suffering is is an intruder into something else that is, that is going on. But it actually is the very crucible in which it's going on. That our suffering is 
not an unwelcome guest, but actually part of what God is doing is He allows suffering into the lives of His people that we may grow by it. And most of us know that we've grown more in our suffering than we have in our smooth sailing. That in the times where we've gone through things, when we have been driven to our knees, driven closer to Him, brought to the end of ourselves, taught to trust in Him and in Him alone, learning how much we need Him, learning how much He can do in the midst of whatever it is. We grow more in our suffering, which is why we can lean into our suffering. That's what Paul is saying in this passage when he starts out saying, I rejoice in my sufferings. I I lean into my sufferings. I don't pull away from my sufferings. I lean into them. I rejoice in them. How can you rejoice, Paul? Paul's in prison. When he writes this, he's in prison. He wrote several of his epistles from prison, a Roman prison. Not a pleasant experience. But he says, I suffer for you. I rejoice in my sufferings for you, for the church. He sees his suffering for the church as an opportunity for the church to grow as he walks through this passage, which is about his ministry, his suffering and his message and his, and his motive and his power. And, and in the end, its purpose and its goal, which he unpacks in this passage and suffering is right at the outset. I want us to think about how our struggles, even in the life of the church, to think about how our struggles are part of our growth and that we need to lean into them. Take a minute and think of all the ways that Paul suffered as a minister of the gospel, as a servant of the church of Jesus Christ. Paul steps up and, well, I guess he didn't step up and say, send me. Jesus knocked him down. (laughs) of his donkey and said, you will. Um, so, but here is Paul as a minister and a servant of the church. And think of how that calling that to, to love God's people and to preach the gospel, how much it cost him in, in, in struggle and suffering. And not just out there as he bumped up against the world, but, but in here as he labored among an imperfect and broken people. How much did he suffer? There was the physical suffering. As I said, as he, as he wrote this, he's imprisoned. And he suffered physically in so many ways. We know he was beaten. We know he was whipped. We know he was driven out of towns and run off. We know that he suffered privation, that he did without, that there were times when he was hungry and times when he was cold and times when he was shipwrecked, times when things didn't go well. Think of all the things he gave up physically. You know, first and foremost, his time where he devoted his life. 24-7, this man was on it. He gave up resources and comforts of home that so many of us take for granted. Just having an income, a job that provides for you and security and all your stuff and your life, you know, that Paul gave up and suffered the loss of. Think of all the non-physical ways he suffered. As we think about ministry, you know, there are a lot of non-physical ways That as we do ministry, and here you have to think not just of Paul and and ministers, but of of us as the ministers of the church, the servants in the church, and the ways that we sometimes suffer. The non-physical ways, loneliness. Paul often felt isolated and alone as he sought to, to do the work of the church. 
Some of the books that are written on leadership actually have sections written on loneliness. When you try to lead, it often leaves you in a position set apart or abandoned in different ways. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul writes and he says, you are aware that all who are in Asia have turned away from me. Do you hear what's underneath that? As he writes to Timothy, another pastor, you know, settled in in Ephesus. He's pastoring the church there and he says, you know, everybody's turned away from me. Later on in the book, in 2 Timothy 4.11, he says, Luke alone is with me. There's a sense of loneliness that sometimes can make us feel like an odd man out, or everyone is against me, or I'm by myself, or it's so hard, we just we feel isolated. He suffered criticism and slander on his authority, on his ability, on his motives, right? Can you imagine in the church, you're trying to do your best, you're serving, you're sacrificing, you've given up everything, you're, 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 you're pouring yourself out in sacrifice and service, as Paul says, and, and what you get is criticism, right? People come at you, your abilities aren't all that they could or should be, you know, your motives, I'm not sure I trust your motives in all of this, you know, I... You know, I'm not sure that you have the authority to be saying these things or to be doing these things. Right? He comes under it. And from whom? From whom does he receive this? From, from outside the church. If you read his letters, he spends an, a funny, not a funny, a, he spends enough time defending himself in his letters, trying to explain to the churches. 2 Corinthians 10.10, he says this, For they say, he, my, Paul's letters, they're weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is of no account. Who is this guy? He writes a good story, you know, but who is this guy, right? And then Paul tries to, to speak to it. You know, in various times physically he suffered and sacrificed. At other times he was lonely and criticized and unappreciated. My friends, all of these things are things that you and I at one time or another, in the life of the church, in the ministry of the church, and in, in seeking to serve Christ and to do what's right, in this community as we move together where God has taken us, we'll, we'll, we'll feel or suffer these things. Why? Because we are at war. We forget it. But there is an enemy that's at work. An enemy that wants to destroy you and us. There's a battle that's raging, ways that he wants to tear us down, break us apart. And we're also in the midst of another kind of a battle, an internal battle, a personal battle, and a community battle for sanctification. We're trying to, we're growing. Right? To, be, to, to say that we're growing means it means that we need to grow. To say that we're not fully mature is to say there are ways we're immature. Right? To say that we're not there yet is to say that I'm struggling somewhere, right? And so that is us, a struggling people on our way. And, and in the midst of our, we're going to be sanctified. Some of it's going to happen here. 2 Timothy 4, 5, Paul writes and he says, This for you, Timothy, pastor of this church, as you always be sober-minded, endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. Endure suffering and fulfill your ministry. Right? And I would say that's true for, again for every one of us. Endure suffering and fulfill your ministry. Because you can't do ministry and fulfill it without enduring some suffering. And we need to endure it or we'll, we'll quit. 
Right? And so he says, endure suffering and fulfill your ministry. At times, ministry is frustrating and hard or painful. And he gives three encouragements as he, as he writes this, as he steps up. And even for him, this isn't a sad thing. He says, I rejoice in my suffering. I'm leaning into it. I'm leaning into it. Because God is doing something. He gives three encouragements, I think, in this passage to help us give meaning and purpose to our suffering. And so it helps us to lean into it and to endure suffering and to fulfill our ministry as a church of Jesus Christ. The first encouragement and support that he gives us in our suffering is to remind us who we suffer for. Right? He says, now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. I do it for you guys. I love you. I care about you. I'm for you. So I'm all in, and if it costs me, it's okay. Just like we would for our children, just like we would in different areas, that we would gladly, I rejoice, to, to suffer it for you. For your sake, the ones he named saints at the very beginning. If you remember, we had that sermon. He writes to the, the saints in Colossae, to the, to the holy ones, to God's people. That's who he's writing to. And he says he, in chapter 3, as he goes on, you'll see in 3 verse 12, we'll get there in, in weeks ahead, he, he calls them um, God's beloved, his elect, holy, and beloved people. And he says, that's who I suffer for, God's elect holy and beloved people. Now, this sounds grand, doesn't it? Gladly suffer for elect holy saints. You know, those guys. Those guys I'll suffer for, but... And we step back and realize, I'm talking about the annoying guy down the pew. Right? I'm talking about the person who's frustrating me right now. You know, or I'm talking about, you know, the people who hurt me or the ones who... You know, I'm talking about the... You know, we're talking about the people in the church, and that's all of us. This is why in verses chapter 3, 12, when he says it, he calls them God's holy ones, elect and dearly loved. And he goes on to say, you're going to have to put on humility and meekness. You're going to have to bear with each other. You're going to have to forgive each other. I thought you just called them these holy, elect, you know, awesome people. And now you're telling them you're going to have to bear with each other. Right? So, you know, you're, you're both. We'll see this as we go, that we're, we're both. So you're going to have to forgive each other. Whatever you have against each other, you're going to have to die to yourself and relentlessly move toward each other. That's what you're going to have to do. We suffer for each other because it's who we are. How can we as sinners do ministry and grow together? How can we? Unless we're willing to suffer together. Suffer for each other. Suffer each other. Bear with each other, right? And he says, and he goes on, not only do he, he says, I suffer for your sake, but look what he says next. He says, in my, my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Jesus' own afflictions or suffering for the sake of his body. Right? He says, not only am I suffering for you, but um, I'm sharing in the very suffering of Jesus Christ on behalf of his body as I do it. I suffer for Jesus. Again, a lofty thing, a lofty idea, but a very real. He says, it's, it's not out there. It's in my own flesh. It's in my experience today. The suffering of sharing what Jesus is about. He's not talking about, and let's get that out of the way where, you know, right away. He's not talking about his substitutionary, redemptive death on the cross that saves us. We know, you know very clearly that was once for all, and Jesus said it's finished. All right, so... 
So he's not talking about in any way saving God's people that way. But he is talking about sanctifying God's people. In other words, there's other kinds of suffering besides the redemptive, which Jesus accomplished fully and completely and is done. It's because of his redemptive suffering that we can share in. He continues, right? He said we, when we did that glorious passage on Jesus, says he is, back in verse 18, he is the head of his body, the church. He is the head and we're the body and we're connected together like that. And so when his body suffers, right, he suffers. We're his body in a very literal, spiritual, literal sense, right? And so there is a suffering, right, that as Jesus is, the body is still to be sanctified and still has to suffer amongst itself because a bunch of imperfect, sinful, messy, broken people, you know, trying to press toward maturity together in Jesus, rubbing up against each other, you know, and he says, and there's suffering that goes on and it has to go on in the life of the church, and he says, I'm filling up in my own body the suffering that is necessary to see it go forward. Philippians 3, chapter 3, verse 10, he says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection that I may share in his sufferings. Where is that, where is that going to happen? You know, he actually wants to share in his sufferings. And, and where is that going to happen? And so we always think somewhere out there. We don't think about it's what you're going through right now. That we share in his sufferings. Second Timothy 2.3, Paul writes to Timothy again, the same. I, I, when I went on sabbatical a couple of years ago, I took a book on Second Timothy and, and spent time reading and studying and meditating on it because it's Paul, the apostle, the elder, writing to another elder pastor about the ministry. And, and for me, it was a study of, you know, what, what should ministry be like? And what you find is that it's, it's not all roses, is it, right? He writes to Timothy, and he tells Timothy, share in suffering as a good soldier for Christ Jesus, right? He writes to this, this guy, he's just doing ministry in the local church, and he says, suffer like a good soldier for Jesus. That, that thought has sustained me over and over again and many times in ministry where you know, where I th you want to you put any kind of spin on it, but when you put it in the battle terms, right, in, into warfare, and that my job, my job, my calling, your job, and I, I know this is as a pastor, but brothers and sisters, you know, in many ways, you are the church and you are the ministers. And, and our job, our calling is to suffer like a good soldier, to soldier on, battle-hardened. How do we get hardened? By going through battles and surviving them. Right? That's how you get a battle-hardened soldier. Right? Battle-hardened, right? The guy who stands his ground and takes his wounds and fights a good fight. Right? Holds the line. It takes this kind of an attitude to understand and to bear with each other and to forgive one another and to press in. It takes spiritual discernment and grace and a deliberate abiding in Christ to realize we are not the enemy. And that we're all together in this. Weak and sinful saints, blood-bought holy ones. Worth blood, sweat, and tears to share in the sufferings of Jesus. 
to march forward in this thing. And the second, then the second encouragement that he gives us, not only does he say who we suffer for, that we suffer for each other, the, the blood-bought holy ones of Jesus, but we suffer with Christ and in Christ and share in his sufferings in the life of the church. And he says, not only so, but secondly, there is an indwelling Christ. Because he describes his pressing on in this ministry, and this is almost all one sentence. I don't know if at least in yours I have ESV there are no periods until you get to 26, right? And then he picks up another sentence, and it's another, uh, like, two more staccato. But this long thing, I rejoice in my sufferings for the sake, for your sake, in my flesh. I'm going to fill up what's lacking in the afflictions, Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body that is you, the church of which I became a minister, a servant according to the stewardship that was given to me for you, for you to make the word of God fully known to you, the mystery hidden from the ages and generations, but is now being revealed to you, the saints. And to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles the riches of this glorious mystery, which is Christ, who is in you. And is the hope of glory. This is, I mean, I say it in so many times, and I'm going to leave it in because people want, you know, how, how, do, how do you do this? You know, they give me the, there is a reality. He, he presses on here as he, as he moves through beyond just uh, reminding us about theology. And in some ways, that's what we've been talking about, understanding what's going on, this understanding, to, a, to spiritual reality. And the reality is this. Christ is in you. The very hope of glory. A reality that often escapes us in the moments of struggle. Right? It's a thing that goes right out of our head as we go out of our head. It's that Christ is in you, the hope of glory. Right, as we listen to Paul as he talks about this reality that transforms our suffering, the presence and power of an indwelling Christ, that I'm not just suffering, I'm filling up the sufferings of Jesus because Jesus himself actually dwells in us, abides in his church, is here, is among us, is working, is sanctifying and suffering as he brings his church to maturity and moves us toward glory. Christ in us, the creative power of the universe, has taken up residence inside. There's a glory in this that is hard to, that is hard to explain. And it's not just in me personally, but is Christ in you, plural, in the church. This one thing, this body, right? And that's why he says... As he says, I do all this for this, your sake. In the end of 24, he says, that is, I do it for the church of which I have become a minister. And minister there, that word is just the word diakonos, which literally translates as a servant. Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve. I didn't come to be diakonos. I came to deacon. I came to, to serve. And he says, of the church of which I have become a servant. And as your servant, and as you serve one another, and as you walk together and serve on committees together and do small group together and have fellowship together and all the stuff that we do together, he says, you are, we are in the process. We serve one another. Love one another. 
sometimes that's by enduring and bearing with one another and forgiving one another and being humble toward one another. The mystery that is being revealed. The church in the Old Testament was waiting for Messiah. They wanted another Moses or another David to come and deliver you know, everybody. So they were waiting. And the great mystery of the ages is being revealed unto the church now is that, that, that the Messiah, the Christ that they've been waiting for is actually the Son of the living God. And that He has been raised and now He lives in His people. That God has changed everything. You know, with the coming of Messiah is the coming of God Himself. Emmanuel. God with us. God in us. And so our hope as believers and our hope as a church as we press forward is not in me as a pastor. It's not in you and in pulling it off or being. But the hope of glory that you and I share is Christ in us. Now let us awaken to that. Let us step into that. And let us lean into and embrace the, the indwelling Christ who we abide in Him will bear much fruit. And I know for some of you, you're like, I, you know, when I sometimes have conversations, I can remember, you know, some in particular, it's like, you know, where is it? How, you know, this Christ in you, this, this, I can do all things through Christ who is my strength, you know, to be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Like, how do we do this? And, you know, part of me wants to just say, you know what, that's... I want to say, kick it back to you and be like, do not rest until you figure it out. Because that is the Christian life. Christ in you, the indwelling Christ, the hope of glory, through whom you can do all things. That is, you can do with and you can do without. You know, you can suffer and rejoice and you can pour yourself out and sacrifice and service and, and you are strong, but you're strong in the power of the Lord and in His might, in some ways, you know, He tells us how we do it. We abide in Him. We trust in Him. We, we commune with Him. We know Him and love Him and walk with Him through His Word and in prayer and in worship. And all I can tell you is it's there. And if you haven't, if you haven't discovered the living presence of Christ, then, then do not rest until you do. John MacArthur says, A Christian who has lost the joy of the ministry does not have bad circumstances. That's what we want to blame every time. When you shake the cup, what comes out of the cup is something you don't like. And you want to blame the shaking. But I'm going to blame, you know, if, if, if mud came out of the cup when it was shaken, it's because mud was in the cup. Not because it was shaken. Right? In other words, whatever is in the cup is what comes out when it's shaken. Right? And this is that illustration that is some ways changed my life when stuff comes out of me and I want to say, oh, you know. And you say, no, this, what came out of me was me. <laughs> in the circumstances, the circumstances isn't, isn't the problem. It's what's in me is the problem. A Christian who's lost the joy of the ministry doesn't have bad circumstances, but bad connections. You don't lose the joy of serving Christ unless your communion with Christ is broken down and your cup is not full, right? Where Christ in you is the hope of glory and overflows in a life of sacrifice and service and ministry that is joyful even when it's painful. Because it is not dependent on the circumstances. A peace that passes understanding that is beyond circumstances because it flows from somewhere, not out here and everything being copacetic and going the way that it's supposed to, but from the reality of a Christ who lives within so the final encouragement that he gives is for whom, not only for whom we suffer, for you and for, 
you know, for Christ as we fill up in our own through the power of an indwelling Christ. He gives us the very goal of the suffering then is in the goal of ministry. Why we do what we do is we press on together. Um, Verse 28, him we proclaim, warning everybody, teaching everybody. Why do we have to warn people? Because things aren't going the way they're supposed to go. They're not doing what they're supposed to do, right? It's not fun, you know, that they're, that, you know, things go, this is, the, this is the natural way of life. That's why he says, this is it. You know, we are, we are, we're going through this, and he says, but you're going to have to do it. You're going to have to proclaim him, and you're going to have to admonish and warn people, and you're going to have to do this, and that is the natural order of things in the body of Christ. As we press on together and do this together. And he says we do it that we may present everyone mature in Christ. We're not mature, but we need to be. We're not done, but we're pressing on. Right? We're still broken, but he's working on fixing. You know, we all know it's not going to be perfect till we get there. And in between, it's going to, at times, be pretty messy. But we can lean into it. We can even rejoice in it when we know that God is doing something. Right? James understood this. He wrote in the opening couple of verses of his, his letter, he writes, count it all joy, not a little joy, count it all joy when you face trials, struggles, and suffering of whatever kind, various kinds. Why? Because you know something. God is at work. You know, he says it in this, it produces steadfastness, steadfastness produces, you know, faith, faith produces endurance, endurance brings us toward maturity. This is the path to maturity. He says the path to maturity is admonishing one another and teaching one another and suffering together and forgiving one another and pressing on together, counting it joy that we have to go through all these struggles together, knowing that as we love one another, are faithful to one another and honest with one another and walk to one another and support one another and bear each other's burdens and pray for one another and confess to one another, we'll get her done. Right? We'll get there. To present everybody mature. Why? Because we're broken, messy. I'm going to let you down. I'm going to mess up. I'm going to hurt your feelings. You're going to hurt mine. We're going to sin. I'm going to sin. You're going to sin against me. We're going to, like, this is the body of Christ. So let me come in. We come to the concluding verse where Paul, and as he's pressing through and understanding how ministry is done, what it's like in, in the body of Christ, where we're going. And he says that he does it in verse 29. It's for this that I toil. This struggling toward maturity in Christ together, which can be painful. It says, this, I, to this is what I'm toiling after and I'm struggling toward. The word toil there means to, is, is a strong word. It's the word of, of working toward, to exhaustion. Right? It's not like, you know, I put in a little. No, I, I, to this I toil. I work to the point of exhaustion. And he says, and I struggle. The word there in the Greek is agonizomai. And if you can hear it, it's where we get the word agonize. Right? He says, I, I struggle to, I, I labor to the point of exhaustion and I agonize. Right? I, I, I get pushed to the utter limits, almost the maddening limits. Paul, how did you do it? The sticking power to rejoice in your agonizingly hard work and suffering for the church and its growth and maturity because they're pretty frustrating along the way. And he says, I do it by laboring not in my flesh. 
and being full of myself, which is the way I so often find myself doing ministry. Right? And what happens when we do that? Right? That's when all that other stuff happens. But he says, I do it, laboring with all of his energy, which is so powerfully at work within me. I long for that. I long for that, to labor from that place. To be a Paul who through his whole life did what he did and went through what he did through and in the end can say, I am, I am full of joy for the privilege of suffering and sharing in the sufferings of Jesus on your behalf, church. Because he loves you and he bought you with his blood. Right? And he's made us one as a body and so we do this together. Let me close with this image then. You know, when I do premarital counseling, one of my goals in premarital counseling is to burst the bubble of idealism. It's one of my goals. You'll come to me starry-eyed one day. And my goal is to burst your bubble. Why? Because idealism is dangerous and can ruin a marriage. If you come into a marriage and think it's going to be all roses, if you come into a marriage and says he's going to be like this, you know, he's going to love me and serve me and I'm treasure me and he's going to whatever. And, you know, when we, we, we're so on the same page, he'll never be like whatever. What happens when two sinners get married is you get more than twice a sin. You get sin squared, you know. <laughs> When two sinners get married, and, and so there's this reality. I try to just tell people, you know what? One of these days, you're going to figure out you married a sinner. <laughs> you know? And if you don't know that going in, you're in big trouble because you'll start thinking, oh, if I had known he was like this, or he did this to me, or he let me down, or he did this, and oh, I've married the wrong guy, you know, or I've married the wrong person, i got to get out. You know, we start thinking all these things unless we come in with our eyes wide open saying, no, mar- you know, marriage is the best of times. And it's the worst of times, right? Just like, just like church, because it, it is full of such potential glory, but it's conducted by sinners, you know, who, who are struggling to, you know, to become one. I've declared you one, and now you've got to become one, and that's a much, much, much more work, you know, and takes time. And the same is in the church. See, Bonhoeffer wrote a little book called Life Together. If you've never read it, good read. Little book on, on Christian community. And he says, you know what? One of the biggest dangers to Christian community is idealism. All right, basically, you think it shouldn't be hard. You think in the church it's a bunch of Christians and you shouldn't get hurt. You shouldn't get disappointed. People shouldn't let you down. You shouldn't be sinned against because it's the church. No. No, we got to pop the bubble. You know, the church is whole of a bunch of broken sinners on their way to glory, you know, being sanctified, yes, but, but we have to understand this community. It's a broken, messy. You know, he, Bonhoeffer says, you know, if you come in with an idealism, you will always stand in the place of criticizing and judging it. It's never living up. There's a rich fellowship going on. You know, it's, it's a bit messy as we love one another in the midst of all the garbage. You know, but he says, but if you are living in idealism, you'll stand over it and constantly criticize and judge it. You'll constantly be unhappy. You'll constantly be discontent. And, and it will keep you from being able to actually embrace the real fellowship, the rich, broken, messy fellowship that's there. That's the only kind there is. Martin Luther, as we celebrate the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, and Martin Luther's part in starting it, he said this, 
that we as a church are simul justus et peccator. Latin, I don't know it. Uh, simul justus et peccator, but I know what it means. It says you're simultaneously just or holy and a sinner. Simultaneously just, holy, right? Because that's what he wrote to the saints, to the holy ones in Colossae. Forgive each other, bear with each other. Uh, forgive whatever you got going on against each other. You better be humble toward each other. You're going to have to, right? You know, simultaneously just and holy and sinners. Simultaneously God's elect, holy, beloved, blood-bought people and broken, imperfect, struggling sinners. And we are able to rejoice and to lean into our suffering together. When we understand and agonize with all of his energy and all the power of the indwelling Christ who still suffers in his church as we're sanctified. And we fill out in our own experience that suffering out of love for the saints and the church. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have loved us with such a love that does not leave us as you found us, but comes near in a suffering power to dwell in us and to dwell with us and to suffer with us and to redeem our suffering and to bring joy and glory in the midst of it as you make us more and more like Jesus and move us toward the perfecting of your people. We long for that work to go forward. Help us to lean into it to not pull away. Help us to endure suffering like good soldiers for Jesus. We would stand our ground and fight the good fight of faith. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.